Catherine McGarvey is the owner of the Meaningful Marketing Company based in Napier, New Zealand. She interviews her clients' customers to get insightful snippets they can learn from and use in their marketing to attract, captivate, and convert exactly perfect buyers. In the episode, we chat about how customer interviews work, how they can be done well, and how business owners can implement their new learnings to better market their business. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine. It's so good to have you. Thanks, Emma. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat about everything. Um, so to kick us off, the big question, tell us about yourself and what you do. So my name is Catherine McGarvey. I run the Meaningful Marketing Company, which is in Ahuriri Napier. Uh, I did what a lot of people my age did and went traveling after university and didn't really settle down. Uh, came back after my second OE and thought it's time to get a qualification actually applied for law school and got in and then decided like just before it started I don't actually want to be a lawyer um I think I was sucked in by uh hourly rates that I'd heard but uh, realized it wasn't quite for me and to be honest the next thing that I found that was available was a postgraduate diploma in marketing and so I applied for that got in wasn't as if it was a burning passion it was just a job. Uh, that was a two-year postgrad diploma. Had a great time. Learned a lot. No email. I had a couple of corporate marketing jobs in Wellington for telecom and the National Bank. And I have to say, there are some parts of those days that I yearn for because it was before email. We used to send out like letters, direct mail for our campaigns, and we had what they called contact rules. So if you had mailed somebody a letter, you couldn't then mail them anything for 30 days. You weren't allowed to um, block up their letterbox like that. And sometimes I wish that could happen uh, with emails. Can I just pause this for 30 days? Uh, then went overseas and worked for Sky TV, which I think I cried every day when I got home for the first six months because it was really intense, super, super commercially focused. What it was great for was working for an organization that everything boiled down to the bottom line. If this isn't commercial, it's gone. And sometimes that can be heartbreaking if you've worked on stuff. But coming back to New Zealand, it was such a good discipline. I'd like to think I was had more of a heart than they did. But actually, at the end of the day, your marketing activities have got to have a financial return of some kind. So that was a really good discipline. Uh, worked in Auckland again at Telecom. And then my husband was originally from Hawke's Bay. And we came down one winter's day. And it was much like today, beautiful and sunny. And at the time, I was marketing probably before your time. But I don't know if you remember the little credit card size cards that you would plug into uh, the side of your laptop, put a little aerial up. I think that was 2004, so nearly 20 years ago. Uh, and we decided we wanted to move to Hawke's Bay. So I went to my boss and said, hey, can I, you know, I'm responsible for marketing remote working solutions. Can I go to Napier and work remotely? I'll be a living, breathing case study. And they said no. So... Oh. 
seemed a little bit, seemed a little bit short-sighted, but worked out well in the end. So I got a couple of contracts here. Then I had a couple of kids. Then I got a couple of uh, marketing manager in winery jobs, which hopefully no, nobody I worked with will be listening or watching this. But you know, you learn a lot when you're in a winery job and mostly I learned that I'm not suited to being in a winery <laughs> being a winery marketer I think it's a special bunch of people that do it so I went out on my own and actually I I got a bit jaded by my previous jobs and decided I hated marketing Marketing's responsible for all the visual pollution in the world which to a certain extent I actually still agree with mm -hmm. um, and I wanted nothing to do with it. So I taught myself to build Squarespace websites and was doing that for people. And after a couple of years realized I was offering them way more in free marketing advice while I was building their websites uh, than they were paying me for the websites. So maybe six to nine months before COVID hit, I transitioned, well, I started offering marketing consultancy services. So very much at the strategy and planning end, not the tactics. And just seemed to, there seemed to be an enormous gap in the market with small businesses here. So did that for, well, all through uh, lockdown and the COVID years. And then of course, in February, this year, Hawke's Bay had Cyclone Gabrielle, which was a, you know, we're still feeling the effects of that. It was pretty devastating. And from my business's perspective, my pipeline and work dried up overnight because when people haven't got homes and haven't got businesses, the last thing they're thinking about is marketing strategy. So that was, um, you know, that wasn't... <laughs> not my planning list for yeah. 2023 <laughs> but it worked out for the best because you know also in the midst of that you think well I need to market myself but like I couldn't go out saying hey hire me when some of my clients still didn't have homes mm. it just didn't feel like like no judgment on the people that were able to do it but it just wasn't something that I was comfortable with so I took the time to look at all the work that I did and for a long time I had been resisting narrowing down what I offered. You know, my coaches had said that I should do and, you know, it's what I would tell myself, but uh, I can be a bit stubborn. It's like, I love doing all that work and I don't want to narrow it down. But I realized actually the part that I really love, the part that I never ever procrastinate over was for some of my bigger consultancy clients, part of our work would involve me calling their customers or their clients and doing deep dive interviews and extracting insights that we could then use to inform their marketing strategies and plans. And I love that bit. Uh, I've been doing it for about three years and I'm kind of embarrassed that I've had like an 18 year marketing career, 19 year marketing career where I didn't do a lot of talking directly to customers because I feel, I feel now like if you're making marketing plans and doing marketing strategy and you haven't actually talked 
to your clients. It's like your marketing with one hand tied behind your back. And once you've unshackled yourself, you don't want to go back. It's just too valuable. So that's where I'm at now. I pivoted and am offering uh, customer interview services. So I can either come in and do it for people. You know, that's pretty labor intensive, so that's not inexpensive. But I also love sharing with people, like guide them on how to do it themselves. If they can't pay for my consultancy, then you should still absolutely do it. And I love sharing how to do that. Yeah, so perfect. I think there's a part of business where people go from when they first start their business, they have kind of like a idealistic idea of who their target audience is going to be. And at a certain point, it needs to shift to like who is actually buying so that they understand why those people bought so that then they can amplify those few things because it's generally not just one thing. There's often a few things that they've done that have stuck out so they can amplify those things and then either fix or deal with the things that maybe turn people off or um, maybe there's something that they've been really prioritizing that really none of their actual clients who bought really cared about that thing. And so it's just prioritizing and juggling everything. But if we don't move on from the kind of like movie character person in our head that we've kind of made up, um, it doesn't ever really merge with reality. It's like you're reading my diary from three years ago because when I started out, you know, I'm a marketer, so I know marketing stuff. So I was almost playing at marketing with my own business and I created these customer personas, which, you know, I had, this is when I was doing the websites, I had Gemma, who was an interior designer in Brooklyn, whose husband did such and such, and she had two little boys and this was a part-time job. The number of hours I probably spent on Unsplash, finding the perfect oh, image yeah. to represent Emma, Gemma. And then I had a man who used to be a science teacher and now was doing, like, these were works of fiction. <laughs> they were fun to put together. That's also crazy specific. I love that. But, you know, that's what you're supposed to do with customer personas is yeah. to make them come to life. So I had these great stories, but they were not rooted <laughs> in any kind of fact whatsoever they were a creative writing exercise so now actually when I'm working with clients I like I really don't believe in customer personas anymore I give them what I call a real client profile because mm. you know these are your actual customers not Gemma the interior designer from Brooklyn yeah. and Wellington yeah also when I've worked in with the personas in a larger scale business um in particular, we had them when I was working in a retail business and they did them. It was this big thing. And then they were on the wall in the marketing department, which obviously was where I was. But the whole company needed to be bought into these personas because I would look at those and go, well, that's cool. But like the clothes that we have in the shop right now don't match these personas. They match the personas that somebody obviously put together 15 years ago. So that's all well and good for the marketing to be, team to be seeing this. But like, it's really hard for me to put those kind of words next to clothes that aren't really designed for that person on the website like we're gonna need to like marry these at a certain point um and at a certain point those personas came off the wall um and I don't really know what happened I can't remember if there was a discussion about it or if something else just got prioritized on the wall um but I remember it did what did happen over time slowly was that we did actually align with those but it was kind of like they were hanging in the wrong department when they needed to be like of the changes that needed to be done on on day one so there's also that thing of when you have a 
even if, if it's a real customer profile, that everyone in the business knows what those are so that everything is aligned to it, not just your marketing materials, but like the sales portions, the how the product is actually like built or the service offering or whatever is actually built to match that person so that the marketing is so much simpler for that. Um, so I'm sure some of the businesses that you work in, some of the people who interface with those customers have some of the sense of some of the information that those people have, but then there's other people in the business who like would have no clue. Um, you raise a really good point as well that, especially in a slightly larger organization, if you've got a customer service team or a sales team, you want to talk to them as well as the customers yeah. for their insights. Like I ran a program 20 years ago at Telecom and this was when I was in Wellington and I was so unpopular because I put together this program where everybody in the marketing team had to go out and sit in the call center next to an operator listening to calls for at least two hours a quarter and when this program came out people were grumpy because they would have to catch a taxi out to the hut. So there was an hour's travel time, you know, both ways at least. Didn't want to do it, grumbled about it, sat and had their two hours, and quite a few of them came back, back and actually sought me out to say, thank you so much for forcing us to do that because there's one thing when you're in a marketing team and you're in a silo, Creating a campaign, there's something very different hearing that campaign out in the world and hearing what sort of problems did people have? Why were they ringing in? What were the questions? What wasn't clear in our comms or, you know, the way that it was being sold? So powerful to listen directly from the horse's mouth. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also just the fact that obviously all of those different things were siloed because they had to catch a taxi from one place to the other. They were that detached from the customer service that they actually weren't even in the same building. So yeah, yeah. I fortunately have never really been in a situation like that. So many of the roles that I had before I went out on my own, I was the customer service person as well as the marketing person. Like I was, I had all of like, not either the marketing team was small where I worked or the business itself was small to where we were all in the same room. Um, so there's always been, I've always had that in touch with the customer kind of a situation. And so what I love doing is, is getting all of that feedback. So yeah, I just really love this um, basically approach to it rather than just like, you know, making it up in a boardroom somewhere. Do you know, it's probably uh, not very, appropriate to say it but it allows me to be a lazy marketer because if I'm listening really well to what people are telling me it's so much easier to do yeah. any kind of marketing whether it's a choice of what channel you use what sort of messaging like just take what they've told you and translate that and you don't have to put in any mental energy to second guessing yourself uh, figuring out what to do you just do what they've told you already works and hone in on it yes yeah they're literally giving you exactly what you need on a silver platter so we don't want to ignore that also I had a thought the other day of um being like lazy with certain things like you know when a door handle is like a little bit sticky like in theory you just put up with it but 
the non-lazy thing to do is actually to fix the doorknob because then you don't have to deal with it for months and months and months until it eventually breaks and then you have to deal with it. So it's kind of like, I really like looking at things of like, how could I be lazy about this by being, putting the energy in once and then never having to put it in again, basically. You're fooling yourself into not being lazy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's annoying. Okay, then we should fix it. So specifically for the customer interviews generally what kind of businesses are you working with actually it's really mixed and that's probably something that I need to whittle down in the next six months but again like me deciding to do this I love them all and I don't want to choose Uh, but generally well I've done b2b b2c financial services I've done a not-for-profit I've just done an automotive company but one of my favorites was a skincare company there's a a lady with an amazing skincare brand and I got to talk to 12 or 14 of her clients and you know I'm really lucky in that everybody I've done interviews for they're great they give great service they've got great products Mm. so I hear really nice things all the time and just hearing how transformative the skincare had been for people like that was enormous fun. So what do these interviews actually look like? I mean, I'm sure some of them are like via the phone or whatever, but what are they? Are they kind of like discussions? Are they broad questions that you're asking or are they like very specific questions? How do you structure it for the, for the customer? So when I started, I had a list of questions and, you know, they're great questions and I would go through the questions, you know, literally as they were written, but putting my spin on it, but with a list to work through as I got more comfortable doing it and more experience, it still slightly terrifies me, but now I think, you know, In a way, I have all those questions in a bank in my head, so I don't necessarily need them written down. And now my approach is, what is it that I want to learn? Start off, there's always one or two questions that I start off with and then follow the trail. So like one example of one of the pitfalls of working to a script is one of the first clients I did this for, which was a financial services client. They were paying for LinkedIn ads and they're paying for Facebook ads. And it's probably fair to say they weren't really hitting the mark. But uh, in the course of the interviews, uh, I found out that their clients aren't on Facebook and LinkedIn, they're on YouTube. And so there's the opportunity, but because I was working to a script and probably nervous about missing things out, it never occurred to me to go off script and say, what kind of stuff are you looking at on face, uh, on YouTube? So I don't know. These were primarily rural men, you know, 60 plus, are they you know, are they watching business podcasts? Are they looking at cooking shows? All that. If I'd gone off script and just followed my nose, that would have been more useful information for the customer to have. So I was able to say they're on YouTube, but couldn't be more targeted than that. So I do, and like I recommend, um, if your listeners are going to do it, by all means, start with a script because what you'll learn from working through a script is 
like 200 times better than not working, you know, not doing the, the interviews at all. But yeah, now beforehand, I kind of map out what I want to learn. And I've also learned, so I prefer phone calls. And that's probably just a habit I've fallen into. I'm not averse to Zooms. And I know that other people that do this kind of thing, like you can get uh, clues about body language if you're doing it on Zoom. I figure, I reckon I'm quite good at hearing intonation and if somebody's excited or somebody's disgruntled on the phone call. I like phone calls because they're easier. So, you know, if you need to, somebody to sit and have a Zoom, especially if it's a B2C client who's perhaps not in front of their desk uh, for their work anyway. So a, a phone call is really easy. Um, so yeah, it's normally a phone call, have a little intro, go through the questions. I've, I record and now I've stopped taking notes because I did find sometimes, you know, Emma, you might say something really fascinating and I'm so busy making sure, even though I was still recording it, but I'm so busy making sure I note it down that I kind of zone out on what you're saying for the next 20 seconds. So the only time... I take notes now is if you say something that I want to go back and dig deeper into. So I end up with a little list of, right, you said earlier on X, Y, Z, can we just talk about why that was important to you? Because I know like there's so many things that I'm trying to think about at the same time. If I don't write them down, I'll miss out on them. So most of the interviews run for 30 to 45 minutes. And it's really interesting because a lot of people say to me, oh, my people won't talk for that long. They haven't got that amount of time. And sometimes I feel like I have to really hold my tongue to say, are you kidding? Having somebody listen to your stories with really close interest and not interrupting you, um, People love it. In fact, I've put a little audio clip together. I spoke to a lovely lady in Ottawa in Canada about a month ago. And at about 38 minutes, we were wrapping it up. And she said, oh, can I just tell you one more story? And then at 42 minutes, she said, just one more thing. It's snowballs. Sometimes it can take a little while to warm them up. And then when they realize you're not there to sell, so there's never any pitch from me, um, the fact that I'm external, so they feel, I think they feel comfortable being really honest, where sometimes, like if I was asking on my own behalf and they had some sort of niggle, you know, and especially New Zealanders, you know, we don't want to upset people. We're not very good at candor in this country. <laughs> no. So having an outsider uh, can really help, but people love talking. And in fact, Somebody asked me the other week, do you offer incentives to talk? And I've done that with two clients and one um, was a budget advisory service. So we were talking to people who were pretty stressed and financially straightened times for them. So offered them a $20 pack and save or countdown voucher and that was easy. The next clients that I, like most people are willing to do it without any kind of um, enticement but we were having trouble getting enough people for another client so I asked you know I said 
same again. We can get you a voucher. If you're international, we can get you iTunes or Amazon voucher. And I got some more bookings out of that. And two of the ladies uh, that responded to that email, when I finished the interview, I said, right, so where can I send the cards? They both declined and said, no, no, it was fine. We really enjoyed talking. We don't need it. So I think over the course of the last three years doing this, I might have spent, well, on my client's behalf, maybe $120 in $20 vouchers, but people like to be heard. Yeah. And I think that's another difference between this and maybe like a market research situation where you might be getting um, quantitative data. So you want people to fill out a survey. So therefore you want to incentivize a lot of people to do it. Whereas this is really um, like 30 minutes is actually quite a short call to talk about this experience. Um, and when they're working with someone like you, they probably haven't been sent some other somewhat more arbitrary client survey at the end so they're more than happy to spend some time with you and, and chat away so and people like feeling helpful and this really is helpful especially if they can give you like unfortunately no matter how much I dig for dirt I very rarely get any but you know people like to feel especially if like I like to interview my clients best customers so they generally already have a really positive relationship and, you know, they're helping their mates or they're helping people that they already like. It's kind of a no-brainer. And so then when maybe a client of yours wants to find out why reasons someone might not buy, how are you, are you able to figure out that kind of thing through the process as well? So that's really interesting. That's what I was doing in my last uh, project. They had noticed they'd been recording their conversions. So this was a business that required people or that people called in for information and then booked. And they had noticed, I think from like October, November last year, that their conversion rate had really dropped. Right. They didn't know whether it was cost of living related uh, or, you know, cyclone, all the things that were going on, or whether there was something, you know, there was another reason. So we tried to talk to people. My learning from that is it's really hard to get people who haven't paid to get them on the phone. So that's actually one of the ones that I offered the incentives to. And I think I contacted 30 people and some of them got three emails, some of them got two emails, 20 of them got enticement, you know, get, I'll give you a voucher. And I also dropped it down to 10 minutes. So I called it an express interview because I thought, you know, the stuff that I get from the longer interviews, they haven't, they haven't um, bought. So I don't have to explore all that stuff around there. I think I ended up talking to five people out of that 30 and so the results could be slightly skewed because they may have uh, reasons to talk and what I did find out with that client is that every single one of them just hadn't converted yet so they planned to convert but life had got in the way and they would do it next summer or you know they were still going to buy they just hadn't done it yet but yeah, that's, that's much trickier because it's, 
once I feel like once you introduce an incentive, not that it skews it, but it does turn it into slightly more transactional. And I know like that client suggested they could offer something free, an upgrade in their service or something that was um, part of their business. But I didn't want, you know, if you're going to get a free thing from the company that you haven't bought from, then that can place you under some sort of obligation or you might feel inclined to only say good things. So that's why I kind of stick to anybody can use a pack and save or a countdown or a iTunes voucher for the most part. And I think too, sometimes it can sometimes be helpful to know the customers who did end up buying, were there any hesitations or concerns for them early on? But then sometimes by the time you end up interviewing them, maybe they've forgotten those reservations because it's been, you know, however long the service takes sometimes as well. Not just your part, but like, you know, if they've been a client now of the place that you're interviewing for for six months, those reservations were seven, eight months ago. So therefore they've actually just forgotten what they were. So two really good points that you've brought up and I try and interview people who have bought within the last three months because exactly what you're saying, their memory's fresher. But I love the question about objections and hesitations and you get some really, really good intel from them and then you can front foot it so you can put it in your FAQs, you can put it in your, on your website. If you're having a sales conversation, you can preempt those objections, even by saying, look, Emma, I know that you might be concerned about this and this is how we address it, or this is why you don't have to be concerned, or this is what other people, you know, this is how they've overcome those objections. So that's super valuable to have that upfront. And that's a simple question along the lines of, was there anything that might have stopped you buying in the first place or any anxieties that you might have had? The hardest thing for me to learn when I started doing this is to zip it. Like you need to get really comfortable with uncomfortable silences. Yeah, in the hope that they fill it. You and uh, detectives uh, have to do that. <laughs> yes. It's really like it takes some practice and yeah. but generally if you're if you're able to hold off and not rush to fill that silence and sit with it, you normally get really, really insightful stuff because they've taken their time to think about it. Like not always, but um, that's my biggest piece of advice for anybody wanting to do the interviews themselves is a, think about what you're trying to learn and then B, learn that it's not about you. It's about listening, not talking. So keep it zipped. Yeah, that makes perfect sense because you don't want to cut someone off and move on to the next question when they might have actually just been thinking about how to start explaining something, you know, especially with it being a, with a, um, with it being a phone call. Sometimes you can't hear that if someone's not, you know, saying um or anything like that. Um Sometimes they're just kind of thinking. Um, so I like that. Yeah, just letting it be silent for a little bit and let them come up with it. Yeah, yeah. I love. I like the, yeah, you and detectives need to, need to get really comfortable with the space and just let people fill it. Um, 
so what I'm kind of hearing from all of that is that it can be really beneficial to have someone who isn't, you know, the business owner or the person that they have interfaced with doing the interviews, because then sometimes people will give you a little bit more authentic uh, stories, but also because it's so valuable to have that like feedback that would probably be negative, but that will be constructive criticism to allow you to do something about it. Um, having a bit of a list of questions, knowing what you want to learn and then kind of like letting each interview take its own, its own path. Um, what else, what other insights do you have for business owners who maybe want to do this themselves? You will do it once. Well, no, maybe you'll do it three times and then you will never be able to do any marketing again without wanting to talk to customers first because you can see the remarkable amount of knowledge. Um, the other bit of advice is to not necessarily settle for the first answer. Like probe a little bit more if they seem to be excited about something or, you know, quite high energy, high energy about something. Like why is that important to them? Can you... Can you explain, that seems to make you uh, pretty pumped, can you explain what is, you know, this product, what does it allow you to do and why is that important? Obviously, those are two questions. But don't necessarily settle for the first answer. Don't be scared to probe a little bit more because yeah. quite often, again, that's where the real insights come yeah, and taking it to that next level. Sometimes I like to think of being like a toddler when they're in their Y phase of like <laughs> just wanting to know what that extra level is because people will hold themselves back from explaining the why because just naturally as they go about their day, they maybe find that people don't really care so much about the whole long-winded story. But like for this specific scenario, we need everything. <laughs> just tell me it all. Sometimes I... Like people don't know what to expect when you call them, no matter how much sort of prep you put around it. So sometimes I start and kind of suggest to them, imagine that I've been tasked with making a documentary about your decision to hire Emma. So, you know, in a documentary, they might put the camera on the glass of water for three seconds and they might look out the window, which has nothing to do with your service, but it's scene setting. So kind of that helps them understand that details, rich details are welcome, not, you know, might be the one time in your life that going into minute detail is actually useful rather than, you know, the person waiting to waiting for you to yeah. get that part of the story over. Yeah. Because you don't actually, you, you want their answer to the question, but you also want the why behind the answer and the full context of it. Whereas in most parts of life, people just want the answer. Yes. And that setting that expectation up front as well, it just helps with their verbal fluency. A question that gives you a two to three word answer does not elicit much in terms of useful insights. So the more you can get them talking and responding to that actually now see now I'm doing a zoom with you and you've got those nice encouraging nods maybe I should try zoom interviews every now and again see how it goes it, it totally depends too on how easy it is for people to attend those zooms though I feel like yeah. it's a 
one is slightly more important than the other. Um, but yeah, I can see. Like even with podcasting, I have had to either accept that I will need to edit out me saying yes or making mumbles or whatever. Um, because as much as I want to be encouraging to my guests, I don't want to be like making noises over them. Um, so with the power of editing, you can do those things. Um, but yeah, it's it's the thing of like, how do we set the scene here so that, you know, you're getting the right kind of information out of people. And then like any good marketing service where you aren't, you know, taking everything to the finish line for people. Um, what I often find is that people struggle to implement the data that they've got from these things. So once the interviews are over and you're giving them the package, how are you helping them and how can other business owners figure out how to implement this information into say like their marketing materials, their website, their sales process? How can they go about doing that? So when I do it for my clients, part of the package is uh, I will give them a list of tasks. These are from, you know, I've been a marketer for over 20 years. So from my understanding of your business and its needs, married to what the client, what your clients or customers have told me, here's what I've identified are the things that you need to do. And I break that down into, these are the quick wins. So, you know, if there's a really obvious FAQ missing from your website, that's 10 minutes to fix that. So a list of quick wins, a list of other things to do. And then if you do nothing else after going through this process, here's the one thing that you need to do. So for those clients where I do it, uh, do the interviews myself, primarily that's targeted at people who either have a marketing team or a marketing agency that can help them implement it. Because like you're saying, there's no point doing all this work and getting them a lovely report and even giving them a list of stuff that they need to do if they've got nobody to do it. For people doing the interviews themselves, again, if they've thought about what they're trying to learn before they do the interviews, maybe I should have said, I'll say this in the future, and how you're going to use what they learn. So for example, the automotive client that I've just done, I like to do, before I get started on the interviews, I like to interview the client to find out what they think they know about their customers. Mostly as a, A, it's useful, but B, as a marketing tool for me, so I can say, well, you thought this, and then the interviews have shown that, therefore, what I've done for you has, you know, there's some value there. And I asked this client, um, what do you think are the top three reasons that people use you instead of your competitors? And sometimes when I ask that question, people really stumble and they don't know, which is fine. That's what I'm here to help them with. But these guys had answers straight away, bang, bang, bang. There were three things that they said, this is why they hire us. So then I spoke to four of their customers and one of those people mentioned one of those three things just in passing, but they all had one primary reason for hiring my client and it was not on my client's radar at all. And what that means for them is for their messaging. So we now know that there's this one thing that they hire you for, like over and above everything else, this one thing. So we put that on your website, but actually this is a business where 
their clients are in workshops. They're not sitting in front of a computer all day. They go around with a um, basket of cookies to introduce themselves and leave them with a brochure. So we need to change the brochure, you know, just changing what it says on the brochure to highlight this one thing like that. They, they already do an extraordinary job and just that minor tweak, well, major tweak, but in the scheme of things, it's pretty minor to their messaging. I'm hopeful will, you know, open the floodgate. Open the floodgates. <laughs> We've reached the part of the day where enunciation goes out the window. Um, <laughs> I also, I what I really liked about that was that these are major changes and yet the actual implementation steps are actually quite small so like changing certain things on your website very small adding testimonials to a section on the website where there already is testimonials so you're just kind of updating them refreshing them those kind of things adding to an faqs is very simple but they make a massive difference into how you make people feel as they navigate through that whole thing if you are looking at the entire experience of someone from when they first know you exist to buying um throughout that process you want to be giving them those key pieces that will mirror what they are looking for so that they can you know say that yes a lot easier basically yeah and that's what it's all about is just you know understanding your customers so well kind of like a backstage pass to what's going on in their heads. So if you can be having the conversations, you know, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but you know, you might read an email, a sales email from somebody or see an ad and you think, this is for me hmm. because it's just absolutely tapped. Somehow they've found exactly what it is that you need and put it in the right language and it's at the right, you know, all those things. Uh, in the right spot. So if you can get to know your customers so well that they think this is exactly for me, like it's a, a no-brainer, um, and a really great way to do that is to talk to them. Get to know them and everything that they think about your business so that you can better serve the next customers that you have. Sometimes that's by tweaking something that you do in the service and sometimes it's just tweaking how you actually market, market the offer. Mm. I had a client recently and he sells a big ticket item, it's 20k, and he had a little rush over COVID and then he hadn't sold anything for 18 months. He, this is a side business, so it's not mm. like he was destitute, but he came to me and said, you're my last, you know, I'm giving up after this. Talked to his guys, the, the people that had bought it in the past, and again, what he thought was important to them was not at all important to them. So he had a business listing on Trade Me and we tweaked what that said. And you know, I was pretty chuffed within six weeks of the change, he'd made 20K when he hadn't sold any for 18 months just by listening to what people had to say. It's that thing of you want to mirror what they um, what they are saying, but maybe not like, quite so direct like obviously everyone has their own language um what I often see is that like three questions kind of like if this this is for you if or like are you stressed out and da -da 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 -da. and sometimes that's a little too direct so sometimes we want to go a little bit more indirect but just mirroring those things that people are thinking in a way so that um 
they understand that you understand their problem so that they're not concerned that they're going to like invest in this thing and then it doesn't actually solve the problem they have because you've solved like some next door problem that wasn't really a problem yeah and I like, I don't know about you but the amount of money that I have spent on training courses and like little digital products and some of them you know you look at one lesson and you don't look at it again because mm. you've not been sold like whether that was me reading into things that weren't there or not quite match the the sales not quite matching what was delivered but you know it's a really easy gap to fall into it's great to really know them and you, then you can feel good about what you're selling and that it really is delivering value to people yeah basically with a, a lot of us come back to that point of we don't really want to be like either polluting the earth or the space or whatever with extra stuff so we just want to sell to the right people who genuinely need what we have on offer um, and who will be especially for our one-on-one -on -one service kind of businesses is a client who will be a pleasure to work with because they are so suited to the service um so you want to you want to get it right from the outset and make sure that people are um their expectations are in line with what your offering is and also those expectations will be met throughout the the actual experience of working with you i mean why would you not want a business where you love every day and what you do not are dealing with disappointed people or you know i love all my clients and it feels such a privilege to do that but also i know that i know them quite well which is a sneaky way to get new clients yeah yeah, I love that. Um, so let's wrap it up with some quick fire. So who inspires you in business? Some of my own clients. I have a couple of clients at the moment. They run small businesses. They're so hardworking. And particularly, there's a couple of them that are such action takers. And I really admire people who leave your office and say, and you've said, can you do this, this and the other? And they email you that afternoon to say, okay, that's done. So I guess just small business owners in New Zealand who are doing the hard work and trying to build something, they're my heroes. Yes, I love that. So what creative pursuit are you enjoying or feeling drawn to right now in your work or personal life? Do you know, I'm going to be honest in the answer to that, and that's nothing. I'm having, I think, a fellow time. So I'm watching a show with my daughter on Netflix and I'm reading a lot. I think I'm consuming rather than creating. I think, I don't know whether it's winter or a long year, but I'm not drawn to anything at the moment other than enjoying other people's uh, art and craft. That's awesome though. I mean, the world needs people who are going to absorb the art. So I love that. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite place on the internet right now? <laughs> I know everyone hates Zoom, but I love Zoom. I get to talk to people on the other side of the world, people in Australia, other people around the country that I wouldn't get to otherwise. So I think it's an amazing tool and I love Zoom. Same. I think it's just how you approach it. Like, do you want to have those meetings and therefore this allows you to do them? Or do you really not want to be on Zoom because you didn't actually want to have the meeting in the first place? So, Really good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are you looking forward to the most in the next year of business? Uh, talking to more strangers for my clients. Love talking to strangers and now I've found a way to uh, make a living out of it. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Um, and what are you looking forward to the most in the offline world this year? Oh, Emma, I hope we have a sunny summer and a warm, warm summer. I'm looking forward to an actual summer. Let's hope it happens. I really hope that that happens as well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hopefully that happening. If someone is listening to this episode and they want to grow their own business, what is the one thing you recommend they do or evaluate next? It's probably not going to be any surprise, but talk to three of your best clients and learn what their motivations are, how they found you, why they chose you, all those really good things, even where they hang out when they're online and where they hang out when they're offline, because you know where to show up in that case. So yeah, talk to your clients. Perfect. Well, thank you for explaining to both me and the listeners about how this process works and how they can use it to improve not only their actual marketing, but their business as a whole as well. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Digital Hive podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love it if you could share it with a friend or on Instagram and tag me at Honeypot Digital. To find out more about Honeypot Digital and the work I do, or to find more episodes of the podcast and handy tips for small businesses marketing online, head to honeypotdigital.com.